Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon. Calvary meets in the Joppa Falston area between Baltimore and Bel Air, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. Come join us on a Sunday. Our service info is at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. I want to talk about one of my favorite passages of Scripture today from Matthew chapter 5. Uh, the origin of this is, I, uh, on Monday night, I, I spoke uh, at the, the Hartford County Bible Study on Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 on salt. Uh, and I got so fired up about salt that I didn't even get the chance to talk about the light, uh, which is the other half to the teaching. Uh, and so in my car ride home, I go, I got to get this out. Uh, so that was the plan for Sunday, uh, as of Monday night. Um, and one of my great joys in life is to teach through the gospel. That's, that's, that's it to me. That's the, that's the good stuff. But we have to remember there are four accounts of the good news. We have it from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all four gospel writers tell the story of Jesus from different angles. Matthew tells Jesus' story from a different perspective than Mark. Mark different from Luke, and Luke different from uh, John. And, and you'll often hear people say, have you ever heard, oh, that's one of the 10,000 contradictions of the Bible. They say it's the whole book's pitted against itself. But the reality is, there were so many things that happened during the time of Jesus' ministry that the four gospel writers recorded things from their own unique perspective. Or, or where they were and what they saw and what they heard, or sometimes that they may subtract or add some extra details in the story because they felt led to expand upon it or tell a different side of it. For example, uh, for those of you that watched the, the Super Bowl game, uh, it, we, we all watched the same game, but we probably would all tell different stories about the game, what we ate, what we saw, who we yelled at, those sorts of things. Um, and so this is how it was in the life of Jesus. They all, when they wrote their works, gave different accounts of the same story or different sides of it. Uh, for example, if you read the gospel according to St. Mark, Mark, Mark's gospel is really on the move. You, you can read it really quickly and then, and then, and then. It, it, it's moving in a fast motion. But, but Mark quickly, uh, as soon as chapter 1 begins, he hops right into Jesus' authority over the power of darkness. Mark wants to make it very clear that the kingdom of God is coming to make war against the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God's going to win. Uh, and then we read uh, the gospel according to Luke. And Luke, in his opening verses, says, uh, he writes, gives an orderly account to Theophilus. So it's really a historical work, uh, which is why Luke doesn't begin at Jesus. He starts at John the Baptist. Um, if you read about John, John immediately, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. John immediately connects Jesus to Genesis 1. He, he, he points out the divinity of Christ. And so, are they all contradicting each other? No, they're telling different sides of the same story. And in Matthew, Matthew seems to have a ministry here of, of reaching the Jewish people, of ministering to the early Jewish church. Uh, and Matthew tells the story of Jesus in a way that's constantly drawing from the Old Testament, uh, and, but, but also and uniquely in ways that parallel uh, the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament. And I'm going to be quick with this, but uh, in Matthew 1, the, the story of Matthew opens up with the genealogy of Jesus. Now, 
Uh, we may not be big fans of lists and genealogies, but to the Old Testament people, to the Jewish people, this was great stuff. Uh, and and Jesus' story starts off with Father Abraham. Uh, then later in Matthew 1, Jesus' father is named who? Joseph. Joseph is a dreamer, just like the Joseph in the Old Testament. Uh, and so we have two dreams. We go from Father Abraham to Joseph. Then in Matthew 2, Israel has become a new Egypt under a new Pharaoh, which is Herod. Later, what does, Pharaoh, what does Herod do? He kills the Hebrew children, like Pharaoh did in the early parts of the Exodus. In Matthew 3, Jesus is a new Moses who, who, who goes through the waters and into the wilderness. It's the Red Sea crossing from the Israelites in the, in the Exodus. And who did they follow into the wilderness? The pillar, the, 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 uh, the, the cloud and the pillar of fire, which is who? The Holy Spirit. Why does Jesus go into the wilderness? Because he was baptized and filled with the Spirit. Then in Matthew chapter 4, the Israelites were tempted in the wilderness. And they failed and failed and failed. What does Jesus do when he goes into the wilderness? He meets Satan. And he's tempted three times. And he resists, resists, resists. He's the faithful son that Israel should have been. Then later in Matthew 4, Jesus uh, gathers his disciples. He gathers his new priesthood. And then he gathers a multitude. He has a new assembly of people. And then in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which is today's passage, Jesus brings the new people of God up a new Mount Sinai, the Mount of Beatitudes, and sits on top where Moses met with God and gives a new law, a new law to a new people in a new wilderness. And the reason Matthew is writing his gospel this way is to show us that unlike the, the Israelites in the Old Testament, Jesus is the faithful son of the father that Israel should have been. But, but also what we've seen is how God gathered a people in the Old Testament to make them his own. Now in the New Testament, God is gathering a new covenant people, a new people of God in himself, in the disciples and the church. People are no longer saved because of ethnicity. People are saved. They belong in the covenant community of faith through faith. And so Matthew's been telling the story of Jesus in this way. And here we are in Matthew 5 on a new Mount Sinai, so to speak, the Mount of Beatitudes. And Jesus starts giving arguably the greatest sermon ever preached. Now, it won't be this one. It'll be the one I'm talking about. <laughs> and this is how Jesus starts. Let's, let's go to our text, Matthew 5. We're going to start at verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then finally, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who came before you. Wow! <laughs> 
You know, I know sometimes you ever come to church and it's like, man, Josh is just saying too many things at once here. Uh, I learned that from Jesus. Okay, you're well. His sermon starts off with eight points. All right, let's let's start. I'm going to start my sermon. Here's the quick eight points to get us going. That's how he opens his letter, his his, his sermon. It's eight points and then a ninth conclusion. And this introduction is arranged chiastically, which I'm not going to get into. But the point is, is, is all of the Beatitudes are framed within the kingdom of God. So whenever you read the Beatitudes, the blesseds, blessed are, blessed are, it, it, what it, it's all framed with those within the kingdom of God. So they're really kingdomtudes, not beatitudes. Meaning everything Jesus says in the blesseds, the beatitudes are framed within the kingdom of God. And the beatitudes is describing the character of those who belong in the kingdom of God. At least this is what they strive for. And the list is incredible. It tells us to be meek and hunger for righteousness and honest and peacemakers. And as the list unfolds, right, it would be easy to think that if anyone did all of these things, surely the world must love this kind of person. If I was a peacemaker, if I hungered and thirst for righteousness, all the world would love me. And surprisingly, Jesus ends the list on, they're going to hate you. He ends on persecution. The reality is the more Christ-like we become, which is what the Beatitudes, the Kingdomtudes are describing, the more Christ-like we become, the more we act like children of the kingdom of God, the more the kingdom of darkness will increasingly grow to hate us. Which is why the Beatitudes end on persecution. Uh, A little footnote here, and I've shared this before. I remember being a little kid. Uh, And I remember we were going through our third church split at the time. And I remember telling my dad, Dad, if I was ever in charge, I would just love everybody. We'd all hold hands and share a Coke, you know. (laughs) He said, son, some people won't let you. And it's true. And here we see from the mouth of God himself that actually the more we love, the more godly we become, the more certain kinds of people will grow to hate us. So here's a little little word for us, but if you're one of those people that takes everything personally, and you know who you are, let it go. (laughs) Let it go. When someone mistreats you, it is so difficult, I know. Not that I've ever been talked bad about before. <laughs> but it's hard to let it go, I know. But, but what are we told? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, uh, against the rulers of this darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Yes, Hitler was a man, who was led by evil forces. Stalin was a man who was led by evil ideologies. The people that just get crazy and evil are led by something evil and crazy. And Paul tells us, this is all supernatural. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, we wrestle against the unseen world. 
And so if they attack you, if someone attacks you for your Christ likeness, what they're really doing is attacking Christ in you. And so to be honest, it really doesn't have much to do with you at all. So let it go. So Jesus runs through the kingdom tudes and ends, by, ends them by telling us that those within the kingdom of God who, who live them and grow in Christ-likeness will face persecution for it. And it is from this theme of persecution that Jesus starts his teaching on salt and light. And like I said, I only could read verse 13 on Monday. I got so fired up. So, But we're going to move past 13, I promise. So I'm going to do my best. Uh, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So again, I taught this Monday. Uh, feel free to check that teaching out. It's, it's online and it's on YouTube. I can't believe I'm on YouTube. I'm famous. No, it's on YouTube. <laughs> they let anyone post there, just so you know. Uh, but elevator pitch, salt is a preserving agent. And believers preserve the world. Did you know you make the world a better place? You do through Christ. Outside of Christ, not so much. In Christ, absolutely. But we also have to remember the context is persecution. And so this makes sense because all of the sacrifices, did you know all of the sacrifices burned at the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament needed to be salted before being burned? All the sacrifices thrown on the altar first needed to be salted before thrown onto the fire. What's Jesus telling us here? Believers are to live as salted lambs, as willing sacrifices, ready to lay down their lives if persecution gets to that point. Pretty cool. Anyways, I did it. Verse 14. If you are the... No, no, no. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Isn't that cool? few thoughts here. Uh, when we were in Israel, right before the pandemic, we, we took a group over uh, to Israel, and we stayed at a hotel uh, of sorts on the Sea of Galilee. And our hotel actually was not very far from where this sermon was given. And I distinctly remember taking a walk one night on, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and across the water was the city of Tiberias, and it was built on a hill. Now, one of the interesting ge geographical markers of the Sea of Galilee is that the Sea of Galilee is almost a big circle. So anywhere you stand on the sea, you can see the other side, almost anywhere that you are. It's not like the Ozarks or you know, Deep Creek Lake where you've got to go down riverways. It's just a big oval, almost like an egg or a circle. And all around the Sea of Galilee uh, today, and even in Jesus' day, there were tons of little cities and, and villages on the hills and mountains that surrounded all the Sea of Galilee. Which is why, when, 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 when you, you know, you, the disciples were experienced fishermen. And you can go, how do they keep getting caught? How do they keep getting caught in storms? <laughs> Doesn't a fisherman know when a storm is coming? Uh, but, but you have to remember, because it's so mountainous heading into the bowl of the sea, storms quickly came up over those hills and mountains and hit that water. And so in 15 minutes, you can have a storm. Now, if you're in the middle of that thing on a sailboat with rowers, you're caught. Uh, and so, the, you know, the, 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 the water came over those hills, and, or the air came over those hills and mountains. But anyways, Jesus says here that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Everyone there knew exactly what that meant as they're right beside the Sea of Galilee. That at night, these little towns and cities, you, it, it, you can't help it. They just draw your eye. Because it's darkness, 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 city on a hill. Darkness, 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 village on a hill. Darkness, darkness, darkness. And it just draws the eye. And that's what Jesus is saying about us. That we are like a city that draws the eye. That we are in a world full of darkness. We are the light of the world that shines light into that darkness. We permeate, we disrupt the blackness. Like Jesus, who is the light of the world, who brings light to the world, so we, his people, we too are light bearers. As we live life uh, out within the kingdom of God, we bring light into the dark and dying world. And this light is like a city on a hill. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And this is so important to me because there is a huge difference between trying to shine and just shining. I want to do great things for God, don't you? (laughs) And you should want to do great things for God. He's done great things for you. And so we, what we should, we, when these great things present themselves, we should chase them down with our life. Yes and amen. And we should be aware and look for places to serve. And we should try to fill the needs uh, that, that present themselves and, and help others. But let me tell you, when, when Jesus started this sermon and gave the Beatitudes and described what it means to live life in the kingdom of God, in every single example... In every single beatitude, he does not describe works, but character. And from the character, the works flow. This is is so important. If you give your life to studying and obeying the scriptures and live them out, as we just read, you will consistently find yourself in the position of being a light that cannot be hidden. If you faithfully and daily read God's word and obey, (laughs) then God will transform you by the renewing of your mind and he will give you a kingdom character and he will then use you. Yes, every single one of us needs to strive for holiness and for righteousness and for doing good. Yes and amen. But there is a sense that if you are God's lamp and you are drawing near to him, then he will make sure that his lamp is filled with oil. The oil of his spirit. And he will keep you lit. He will keep you bright. And he will keep you shining. Remember, remember Moses' face in the wilderness when he drew near to God? His face started to shun, it says. And it freaked everyone out. <laughs> it couldn't be ignored. And we will shine in that way. Moses wasn't trying to... You know, make his face shine like a nightlight. It just did. If you want to be used by God, if God opens the opportunity for you to be used, then go for it. But if you want to shine every day, then start with daily faithful obedience to the teachings of Christ. In the Old Testament, the lamps in the temple were always required to stay lit. Did you know that? And it was the priest's job in the holy place to make sure that they always had sufficient oil. If you daily start your life, you daily start your day in the presence of Jesus, 
He will make sure that you are full of oil. He will make sure that you have his fire. And he will make sure that you are full of his spirit because he is our great and faithful high priest. Now that doesn't mean you will always feel it. You know, when I woke up this morning and I'm like, oh my back. <laughs> I wasn't sitting there thinking I am filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, I was trying not to say bad words. Uh, you know, not really, but it hurt. It hurt. You may not always feel it, but others will see it. And it cannot be hidden. Your light cannot be hidden if you are drawing from Christ daily. Now also something we must take note of, and it's a silly point, but one that needs to be made nonetheless, is Jesus first talks about salt. <laughs> he talks about his people as salt. And if you were going to salt something, you would not grab a pair of tweezers and put on one grain of salt on something you were going to salt. You, if you salted my steak that way, I send it back. Uh, or a leg of lamb, you wouldn't go, boop, it's salted and ready to go. Salt is always in numbers. And now Jesus talks about the church as light. And notice where Jesus immediately goes, to a city. The brightness of a city is not one big light, but a city's brightness comes through many lights together. Here's the point that I want you to see here with absolute clarity, that those within the kingdom of God, God's people, were never meant to live out their life of faith in isolation. Loved ones, Jesus did not only come to give you himself, he came to give you each other. He sent his spirit so that we would not only be of one blood, his blood, but we would also be of one spirit, his spirit. And it is when believers are together that we effectively salt. If you are the singular grain of salt, you're not preventing the spoil the way that you should. It's when we're together that we do this. And a city with one light shining isn't a, doesn't look like a city on a hill. It's when we shine together that we cannot be hidden. So please get, get together with other Christians, go to home groups, eat lunch with each other, grab coffee somewhere, and know that both salt and light are intensified, are magnified, when they are, when we are together. And if you have struggles, you know, some people... They go into social groups and they, 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 they allow themselves to be down and depressed because they just want everyone's attention and pity. Uh, but a lot of people on the other side of the coin, they don't want to come because they don't want to be a drag. They're sad, they're upset, and they're like, I don't, want to, I don't want to be the turd in the punch bowl here. But if you're struggling, struggle together. Bring it to the body of Christ. And if you're celebrating something, celebrate it together. It's okay. That's good and wonderful. But the point is, is we should do these things together. It's intensified together. So Jesus starts with the corporate aspect of light. Now listen to verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. So Jesus moves from the city to the house. The light that illuminates the city of the church 
is the light that comes from your homes. The first place that your light needs to shine is in your own homes. Mothers, fathers, husbands, and wives. Your first mission field is your family. You need to serve your family. If I said today we're going to go out and feed the homeless, I made peanut butter and jellies, most people would be like, yeah, I can do that. And if I said go home and make your family peanut butter and jelly, some people would be offended. That would be more difficult for them. In so many ways, it's harder to serve our own families. But that is your mission field. And that is where your light first needs to shine. And it shines to give light to all in the house. How will your kids know the goodness of God? By watching you shine to them. That is how they will know. Not because you were nice to strangers somewhere else. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the, uh, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children in the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. As we shine, we bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is now, Paul uses as the fruit of light. And the world is to see us shining, to see our good works, and give glory to our Father. You know, I've shared this before, but it's such a, a good picture here. There was a missionary team who went to a remote place. Um, I believe it was somewhere in Asia. Uh, but it was an unreached people group. And they were sent there by their church. And they were told that there was another missionary church planner that was there. And they were already doing the work. So when they landed in this country, they were excited because they thought, great. We will now get together with this other missionary and we'll double our efforts. So they get there. They can't figure out where this guy is. So they start asking around, do you know who uh, John Brown is? Well, you know, the placement name. And uh, they go, oh, he's the sweetest guy. He'll mow your lawn. He'll scratch your back. He'll help you with your taxes. And, they, and they, so they started to poke around, and no one knew he was a missionary. And no one knew he was a missionary because he never talked about Christ. And what they realized was this man's a missionary of nice Everyone in the town thought he was a, a wonderful man. And they gave him glory. And not one of those people had ever heard the gospel through him. And this is the danger. God has not called us to smile, smile, smile all the time. We're not called to be missionaries of nice. Yes, we, we should strive to be nice. We should all desire to be kind and peacemakers and honest, but unless it is attached to the truth of God's word, what are we really doing? We're really just being missionaries for ourselves. Isn't Josh so nice? Isn't he so kind? He's so handsome today. I know, I know. But don't you see that there's a way to be salt and light that is evil? 
There's a way to be salt and light that is selfish, that's satanic. Because we make it about ourselves and our glory. In our desire to want to be liked or wanted, we can steal God's glory for ourselves. And don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with wanting people to like you. There's nothing wrong with wanting people to think well of you. But at the same time, people need to know where the good things in us and from us come from. From God. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So please hear me. Every good thing you have, every good characteristic that you have, has been a gift from God. You didn't do that. (laughs) Do people like you? You didn't do that. Are you a well thought through person? You didn't do that. Are you someone who's not easily swayed away by indoctrination or all the? You didn't do that. And God deserves all the glory and praise for it. And when people start to compliment us for something, it's okay to accept it. But we also want, want to let people know where it came from. The source. The Lord. And we must be merciful. We must be peacemakers. We must be meek for God's glory, not for our own reputations. Verse 16 says again, In the same way, let your, shine, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If they know your source, if they know your source, if God grabs a hold of them, If they know your source and God starts to move through them, they will then not glorify you. They will glorify your source, the Lord of glory. And here's the brilliance of this. If people know you're a believer and you live life to the glory of God, God is going to use your witness to bring himself more glory. Because a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Well, the question is not hidden to who? Right? Who are we not hidden to? And the answer is those in the darkness. People are drawn to us. And as they are drawn and come in, the church, the, 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 the city on a hill grows larger. The reason God wants you to shine is not so that you can have your best life now and get that Cadillac and declare it. The reason God wants you to shine The reason God wants the glory for your shining is is so that he may grow his city, the kingdom, the church, so that all may be saved. The reason we are salt, the, the salt of the earth, the reason we shine into the darkness is so that the church may grow. That sinners will be saved out of darkness, that the lost will be found, and the dying may yet live. You know, I've talked a lot about structure today. And what's so fascinating about this is as soon as Jesus gets done giving this sermon in Matthew chapter 8, as soon as Jesus starts coming down the mountain with the multitude, uh, really strange, a leper immediately runs up to Jesus and kneels before him. And Jesus heals him. And the question I had was, why did Matthew put that here? Why did Matthew, I mean, Jesus healed probably 
tens of thousands of people. Why did he add this particular story after the momentum of this sermon? And I, I believe we can't miss this connection. Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount and tells us that we are a city on a hill, that we will draw the lost. Immediately, a few verses after the sermon ends, the lost is being drawn to the city on a hill. <laughs> and immediately, the kingdom grows. The church grows. The light's brighter. And it was there that the leper, a man whose flesh was spoiling, met the Lord of salt and was preserved and made clean. Literal moments after this teaching is over, God sovereignly displays the fruit of salt and light in that leper. And it's a picture to us. It tells us that if we shine together, God will draw them. Another analogy he says, you know, cast your net, Peter, to the other side of the boat. Rabbi, we've been fishing all night. I'm a fisherman. You're good with words. You keep with your words. I'll keep fishing. And he said, and finally he goes, Lord, at your word. Sure. Why not? And so many fish were in that net, the, the net started to break. We just have to cast the net and God does the rest. We just need to shine and he will draw. We just need to be salt and we will salt. <laughs> and so as we close, that as God's people gather under the teachings of Christ and we obey, we will shine and God will use us. And draw people to us. Because in him, I'm telling you, you cannot be hidden. You will be going about your business. <laughs> and people will come to you. It is what happens. And he will add to our number daily. For this is why we're still here. Have you ever wondered why you're not in heaven yet? <laughs> Have you ever wondered why Jesus hasn't returned yet? The reason you still have breath in your lungs, if you are a believer, the reason why you are still here is because the Lord wants to use you to draw more sinners to himself that heaven may be filled. Revelation tells us that there are so many people in heaven that it cannot be numbered. How did he fill heaven? Yes, through his spirit, but through his spirit, through his people. And so, loved ones, God wants to fill heaven, and he wants to use you to do it. <laughs> and so, study the word, to live the word, to share the word. Study the word, to live the word, to share the word. Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. We ask, God, that you would help us to be both salt and light. Help us to preserve the, the spoiling flesh, the, the things that are decaying around us. And God, we pray that you help us to shine light into the darkness. Oh, God, use us. Use us, use us, use us.
And God, help us to be faithful and obedient to your word. So please be with us now. Strengthen us now. God, we pray that if anyone here does not know you, they are not in a relationship with you. You are not their Lord. But they desire for you to be their Lord. That they may now come under you and resolve themselves to walk with you all the days of their life. Let today be the day that they can mark in their calendar, I have chosen I have been swayed, I have been persuaded, I have been drawn, and I have accepted and chosen that you are my God and I am your people. Please, God, move mightily, add to the family today. We pray that if anyone here needs special prayer, that they may receive it by the side door up here with our spirit prayer team. And God, please move, move in us in a mighty way and help us to shine, God, in a way that cannot be hidden. And in Jesus' name, all who agreed said, Amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary Baltimore. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. If you can't be here in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon.